Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. All right. Are we recording, Wesley? <laughs> um, if, you, if, if you've noticed, we've missed a couple of recordings lately. It hasn't been anybody's fault, just some malfunction. So we're making sure we're recording. Yes, sir. Oh, it's not Wesley's fault. It's not Wesley's fault. But we like to blame it on him anyway. So, but um, today is different. Usually I know what I'm preaching when I preach it. And I'm certain I'm going to share at least one or two passages, but I'm so full of this message. I don't know how many different ways it's going to come out. So you're either going to walk away going, that was good, or walk away, that was the most confusing thing I've ever heard in my life. So let's say that was good. Two weeks ago, or not two, yeah, it's been three weeks ago today. Three weeks ago, I preached that message on the bread. How many remember the bread message? How many of you don't remember the bread message? Did you remember the bread that you got to eat from a sherry? That's right. (laughs) All right. So um, preached that message. Lexi was home, and me and Lexi and Hannah got in the truck, and we're headed home. And on the way home, the Lord dropped this phrase in my spirit. And the phrase was, let God arise. And I, and I turned on this old song back from uh, the 90s, I think it was, called, uh, it was from Morningstar. Uh, it's called, Oh Yah, Let God Arise. And I just blasted it on the way home. And it's old, Oh Yah, Let God Arise. And the girls are like, <laughs> like, what is going on here? And I'm just rocking it out. And I'm telling you, Every night when I go to bed and every day when I wake up, there is a prayer. There is an intercession coming off my heart, and it's let God arise. And I can't get it out of my spirit. I mean, and I'm really, I don't even want to preach this today because I'm afraid if I release it, like, it it gets off of me, and I don't want that. I, I love this thing on my heart where it's begging and it's calling out this form of intercession, let God arise, let God arise, let God arise, let God arise. And so what has led me to this has led me to the Psalms, where this phrase is captured several times. And I have been reading, I've started reading through the book of Psalms. And many of you, if you you get the emails or if you're on Facebook, you have seen where the Lord has called my heart, and I've extended this call to the church, that we would go through a season of prayer and fasting and the book of Psalms. What that means is praying doing some fasting, whatever. I'm not here to call to anybody in this room to a particular fast. You might fast one meal a day. You might fast one meal a week. You might fast uh, sugar. You might fast whatever, okay? But some form of fasting and together as a church, us reading through the book of Psalms, okay? Um, the reason is because twofold. One, there's some Things in the book of Psalms, and today I'm going to try to just introduce what's on my heart about the book of Psalms and then try to maybe bring a couple of points. As I've been, I've been in the book of Psalms reading this hard, and the Lord is not using the book of Psalms to tell me stuff. He's not using the book of Psalms to teach me anything or to be like, hey, here's something new you need to know. The Lord is using, look, and, look at me, listen very closely. The Lord is using the book of Psalms to direct my heart in intercession and prayer. 
a very simple three-word prayer. Let God arise. That is not, this was a song written that was a prophetic intercessory psalm that was asking the God of heaven that he would show up. Let God arise. And so I want to just lay a few uh, things of groundwork out of the book of Psalms. Again, I have, if, if I really feel like I should just stand here and read the scripture and there's not pontificate, but I'm not going to do that because I've got so much scripture here. We would be here for a very long time. So I'm going to just going to highlight some things that I feel like the Lord is highlighting in me. But we are going to start in Psalm 68 in just a second. Don't throw it up there yet, brother. But I want to just kind of lay some groundwork. I want to say this. One of the good things about the Psalms is they paint a holistic picture of God. Every aspect of God that kind of can be seen is seen in the book of Psalms. We've seen, uh, uh, if, I don't know if you noticed this. This was, I asked, I asked Lacey on Wednesday, I said, look, the Lord, is, the Lord is dealing with my heart out of the Psalms. If we could sing a worship song or two out of the book of Psalms, that would be great. Pretty much sang every song out of Psalms this morning. doesn't fully plan, but everything we sang this morning came from the book of Psalms. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, full of mercy. Psalm 100, I think three or eight, right? I shared with you out of that, let it rain, that, 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 that Psalm 68, we're going to read it in a second. Right, taste and see that the Lord is good. As Psalm, I forget the number, but it's it's a Psalm. Like all these Psalms are from the Psalms, and we're even prophesying this morning from the Book of Psalms about the rain and the presence of God. Does that make sense? And so I'm just telling you, it's not that we're going, ooh, ah, look at Revelation. We're going, ooh, ah, this is how we're supposed to sing. This is how we're supposed to pray from the Book of Psalms. Does that makes sense. So there's prayer and fasting, and even, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup runneth over. This is the prophetic voice, and it's all coming from the book of Psalms, and none of it was was really planned. It's just how the Spirit is moving, and the Holy Ghost is on the book of Psalms for us as a church. So look at me. When I'm asking you, is at the very least, if you can do nothing else, I'm asking everyone in this room, from now until you get done, just start reading through the Psalms. Get the Psalms in your spirit. If you got to listen to them on book audio, do that. Uh, Shane and Shane has uh, literally just the straight psalm sung, uh, and it's phenomenal. So whatever you do, get the psalms inside of you, okay? Okay? So as a church, I very rarely do this. But as a church, I'm calling the church to a time of prayer fasting in the book of psalms. Okay? You, do you understand? All right, so I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to do that. But there's a holistic approach to God. We just, I mean, if we just take the things we saw this morning, the Lord is slow to anger. Uh, his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. The Lord is depicted as a good shepherd. Are y'all out there this morning? Um, the Lord... He he is this shepherd, but he's also a table preparer. 
the Lord is, uh, there's songs about the Lord and his majestic. He is, uh, and and when we see the majesty of God, that we respond, and I'm not even sure if it's a um, a mental um, thing or if it's just a reaction, that we see the majesty of God, that shouts of praise erupt. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for praise to come back to the house of God where, where, the, where, where God arises to the point that we react without any kind of forethought and we just, boom, praise shouts out of our hearts. Let God arise. Praise, right? And so uh, there's all these, I mean, there's these, the sweet, tender mercies. There's the loving kindness of God. There's all these attributes and these characters of God, but there's also the God who knows how to destroy your enemies. I want to read, we're not going to start in 68. Let's start in Psalm 2 for a second. Let's read a little bit of Psalm chapter 2. There's the God who knows how to destroy your enemies. Everyone in this room has enemies. The idea that we don't have enemies is a farce. Jesus said you have enemies. It's just what we do with our enemies, right? It's we love enemies, but it doesn't say that there's this idea that we have no enemies. Sometimes you're in it. Most of the time, your enemy's not even manifested in a person. Or I should say this, another person. A lot of times our enemy's manifested right here inside of us. A lot of times our enemy is, is, is pride. How do you know God moved on a man? When a man said, I became a better man, I humbled myself. Did y'all hear that? And so the point is this, is a lot of times the enemy we fight is, 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 the, is the, dead, the man that should be dead who's trying to resurrect himself inside of our hearts. And so sometimes our enemy is cancer. Sometimes our enemy is, is um, anything that would come against us to try to bring us down, to kill, steal, and destroy the man of God or the kingdom of God that you are. Amen? And so our enemy could be a, a vast uh, uh, array of different things. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes the enemy is legitimately, look at me, I'm going to shock everybody, people who set themselves against God. Well, how are you supposed to treat them? Well, really, it's not about how we treat them as much as about how, what, what God's going to do. We're not the judge. Say, I'm not the judge. But God is, in fact and indeed, going to deal with his enemies. Things like abortion that set themselves against God. Things like the destruction and the de- de- deprivation of a society and all truth is my truth. God will set himself up against these things and he will fight these battles. That makes sense? And what we need to be saying, Psalm 68, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. But, but let's, read, let's, read Psalm, let's read Psalm chapter 2 because again, Psalms paints a holistic picture of God. The loving kindness of God and the severity of God, all found in the book of Psalms and all needful for intercession. Yes. Oh, my God. 
So let's read a little bit. Brother, throw that up there. Psalm chapter 2. Why are the nations in uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Hello, 2023, where people set their hearts against God and actually devise vain things against God. Paul said it this way. They think of ways to be evil. Verse, verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, this is what the evil man says, let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Can you hear a nation? Can you hear a segment of this nation rising up who wants to break the hold that the gospel has had on America? Let us tear their fetters apart. And listen to me. He, capital H, God, sits in the heavens and this is not a, I think this is funny laugh. This is a mocking, scoffing laugh that he has towards his enemies. The Lord scoffs at them. And this is what I want to tell you. As much as we need to hear the the spirit in the rain falling, as much as we need to hear the voice of God in his, in his affection, in his affirming love towards us as a people, I think I'm talking to people who need to know that God still has an attitude. That God, there's a courage that can come to the body of the Christ that when they realize that God's not intimidated by what intimidates the body of Christ on the earth, that God actually looks down at what this evil creation at times is doing against God and laughs and scoffs and mocks what mankind would come against God with. And there's a courage that rises up whenever the people of God are being pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, pushed down. And God, what's going to happen? You come against, the world's coming against us. The world's coming against us. The world's coming against us. What do you say? <laughs> what do you say? What's the voice of heaven? <laughs> Let them try. I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you as, as real and as spiritually true as the voice of God, who, the tender shepherd. As real as the voice of the tender shepherd who's calling the lambs unto himself. As real as that voice is, so is the voice of scoffing laughter at his enemies. And I pray that the church of God be encouraged and that courage rise up inside of us. Say, this is our God fights for us. And what's his reason? Does he cower in fear at the enemies? Nah, he laughs. So much. If there's been one prophetic word, there's been thousands of prophetic words that were released over the coronavirus about how it's meant to intimidate and put fear in the, in the earth. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm telling you, what's the sound that rebuttals fear? Maybe it's holy laughter. Maybe it's God, who I'm grateful can be a little sarcastic at times. And maybe he looks at the enemies of the world, the enemies that set themselves up against God, and he just laughs. Don't you want to hear the, the voice of his laughter too? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Verse 5 says this. 
He will speak to them in his now let me, I want, I want, I want everybody in this room because I, 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 want, I want to push back against some things for a second. His anger and his fury are perfect because everything he does is perfect. Are y'all out there? Everything he does is 100% right, is 100% perfect. I really don't have a problem when people say God does this. God loves. God uh, judges. I don't have a problem saying what God does. Where I feel like the church world is missing it is they're trying to tell everybody what God doesn't do and God's doing some of the things he doesn't. You're saying he doesn't do. Well, that's Old Testament. Well... I'm not sure if it was Old Testament. In the book of Acts, the birth of the church, great fear fell upon the whole church because a man and woman lied to the Holy Spirit and they were instantly killed. Well, that was an isolated incident. Paul, as a man rose up to, to, to pervert the gospel, one of the first miracles Paul ever performed was to pray for a man and he instantly became blind. Y'all want to change the line? We're going to pray this morning. That doesn't apply to y'all because none of y'all are opposing the gospel, right? Okay? But my point is, is God doesn't do that. Don't say that. God does whatever he wants. Especially the things we find in scripture that he does. And so there's this whole generation who wants to redefine God, what he does and what he doesn't do. And I'm here to tell you, I'm fine with just saying what God does. I'm not fine with people saying what God doesn't do because sometimes the thing he, he does is what you're saying he doesn't do. And it's perfect. If God decided to manifest his anger and manifest his fury, it's as perfect as if he desires to manifest his loving kindness and his grace and his peace and his mercy. And for us to think one is greater than the other is a mischaracterization of who he is and what he does. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is perfect. He's never made the wrong choice. He'll never make the wrong choice. Only absolute 100% truth is inside of him. He cannot err on the side of anger. He cannot err on the side of fury. His fury is perfect. As much of his mercy is perfect, so is his fury perfect. And I'm tired of people saying God doesn't do that. He does whatever he pleases. He is God. And so this is why I love the Psalms. Because it's all there. It's all there. The loving kindness of God and the fury of God. And it's all perfect. And there's sometimes, there's places of intercession maybe we've missed because we have decided not to go with God in his fury. Not that we judge, but that we say, God, let whatever you want poured out be poured out. If God, if we're going to pray the prayer, let God arise, then in whatever way he chooses to arise is perfect. But if he decides to show up and through our religion, we can't recognize him because we've just said this is not what he is. Y'all didn't get that, did you? Israel couldn't recognize Jesus Christ because they had come to believe. They they said this is what he is. This is what he's not. And when he showed up, they couldn't recognize him because religion taught them to see God, the Messiah, in only one way. And I'm here to tell you, we need to shuck religion. We need to shuck mindsets, okay? And we need to go back to a place where God is God. He is whatever he arises as. That's what he is, and that's what I want. 
If he wants to come judge the earth and get rid of abortion, come on, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I'm afraid that if the justice of God showed up, we wouldn't want it. The wrath of God has a purpose. And we don't even want the purpose because we don't want the wrath. Turn him over to Satan so his soul may be saved. We don't want these things. We're saying God doesn't do that. Does he, does he only do that? No. But is he only always merciful? My spirit will not always contend with man. God will do whatever he wants to do. And every manifestation of him is perfect, and I want it. Here's where we get in error. And I go, I've said this many times, I'll go back to it again. Where we get in error is we are like the sons of thunder. God, there's your enemies over there. I propose this. According to your holy scriptures, this prophet called down fire and consumed the enemies of God. Let's try that. Jesus didn't rebuke them for calling down fire. He rebuked them for calling down fire in a spirit that he was not in. Matter of fact, God manifested by fire. Matter of fact, Hebrews teaches us our God is a consuming fire. God manifested, manifested by fire. And, he'll, and, and, and if he wanted, if, if it was his will, which is perfect, to do that in that moment, it would have been perfectly fine. Otherwise, you've got to resurrect Ananias and Sapphira, and the kingdom of heaven has to apologize to him. But God said, no, no, no. The reason, the reason Elijah wanted fire was because he was putting God on display. You want fire to vindicate yourself. Only God, listen, vindication belongs to God. Who does vindication belong to? Vindication belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So to know what spirit we're in, right? That's the hard part. To discern our heart is the hard part. And so here we are. We're going to read through the book of Psalms because I'm telling you, the book of Psalms is at times very violent. Are y'all okay with that? The book of Psalms at times is very, um, it seems like, oh, that's legalism. No, no, no. The book of Psalms is perfect. Somebody say amen. amen. And so there's times when his tender mercy shows up, and there's times when his fury shows up, and we want it all. I love this next verse, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 6. But as for me, God... I have installed my king. He's talking about Jesus. This is what God says. I put my king, I put my man in there. Right? And he is on my holy mountain. Verse 7, my king, I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He, he, listen, he is the installed king. He is the promised son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
and both expressions of him judging king full of fire and vengeance and full of the justice of God and promised son who is the firstborn of many brethren who leads us into the family of God into his, into the into the eternal being of Christ right both are the legitimate expressions of God and we should not look down on either one of them And matter of fact, this Psalm chapter 2, 60% of this Psalm is quoted by New Testament authors to justify the gospel. I think it's Acts. Um, are you ready? <laughs> Acts 13.33. Throw that up there. I told you this was unrehearsed. Acts 13, 32. Not that I ever rehearse them, but, you know, I mean, this is un... I did not give him. Acts 13, 33. I think that's right. I could be wrong. Acts 13, 33. We preached you the good news and the promise made to the fathers, verse 33. And God has fulfilled this promise to your children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are... The promised son, Israel, verse 34, as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken that I will give you the Holy One and the blessing. And in another part of Psalm, I don't can't remember, where, I can't remember where it is, he says this. He says, Jesus Christ, both Lord and Son, both Lord and Messiah, whom you have crucified. Listen to me. That's taken from Acts, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 2. Both King and Lord, both Lord and Son, who you have crucified. And remember, listen to me, remember, Psalm chapter 2. The Jews knew this verse. God says, I have installed my king. But on the day that their king was standing there with Pilate, whoa, on the day that their king was standing there with Pilate, listen to me. The Jews, knowing Psalm 22, Psalm 2, having had to have it memorized, is this your king? We have no king but... We have no king but Caesar. And the Jews blasphemed the king. They even put a sign above his head, king of kings, lord of lords, king of the Jews, right? They put this, and they blasphemed the king, knowing, Psalm chapter 2, that God has installed their king, and God had promised them a son. And when he stood right there before him, they pledged allegiance to the earth instead of pledging allegiance to the God of heaven. This is why we have to have the Psalms deep in our heart. That we know who our king is. That we know who our we know who our promised son is. Give me give me Psalm sixty eight and, and we'll we'll go here. What is God? I mean, He is. He is, the I am. That I am, period. Even he won't answer the question. Who should I say sent me? I am. Well, what are you? Yep. Whatever I need to be in whatever situation, that's who I am. But you're not that. Oh, yes, 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 I, I 
am. But I don't like that. <laughs> I am perfect. I, raise your hand if you're ever wrong. I've been wrong at least once or twice. <laughs> I've been wrong a lot. That's me. Listen, you know the only man who can stand and raise his hand and say, I've never been wrong is Jesus. God. He's never been wrong. Listen to me. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. I pray that that takes intercession inside of your heart. What do you need? I know people in this congregation who are battling cancer. Let God arise and his enemy be scattered. I know people who are on the cusp of having a breakthrough with a dream of their heart of a business and my point is that God arise and every enemy that would stop it be scattered. I say to church at the armory who needs a business deal to happen, let God arise. And let everything that would set himself up to stop it be scattered. And when that happens... Let those who hate him flee from before him. Verse 2, like as smoke is driven away, so drive them away as wax melts before the fire. Listen, I want to say to a world who feels like the evil's imposing onto him, it, the evil melts like wax at the presence of our God. The fire, our God is an all-consuming fire, and it doesn't stand a chance. Evil doesn't stand a chance. It will, it, as easily as smoke is puffed out of the room. So is whatever set itself against this church and you and this city and your family and your marriage and your finances. Whatever set itself against it, as easy as smoke is driven away. So the presence of our God will drive them enemies away. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As, as wax melts. And listen, I want you to go before the throne with confidence. And I want you to pray, God, arise. And when you say to cancer, or when you say to whatever it is, as easy as smoke is driven away, God, drive this cancer out of my body. There's got to be this confidence that the psalmist wrote this song in. Let God arise, right? And he sings this song, and he sings it with confidence, knowing who his God is. He actually scoffs at cancer. He scoffs at the wicked perish before God. Verse 3, let the righteous be. Where is the gladness in the body of Christ? Where is the joy and the responsive praise in the body? Where is the gladness of our hearts in the believer? We need God to arise so that our enemies are scattered, so that we respond in such gladness, such joy. Let them exalt before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. I told you about driving home the other day, listening to that song, right? The song's like 15 minutes long. 
in the middle of the song. Let God arise, oh yeah, let God arise. Let his enemies scatter. They they sing this song, right? And at the middle of the song, they're trying to end the song. This is recorded live. And when they end the song, such praise erupts from the people of God that there is a constant roar of shouting and joy for like five to ten minutes. At the end of this long extended, God, Jesus, you start hearing, Jesus, Jesus, and this chant of Jesus starts erupting over, uh, totally spirit-led. And I'm here to tell you, we know how to be, uh, okay. We know how to sit in the lap of Father, and we know how to soothe our hearts and our soul, and we know how to be loved on by Him, and all that is good, and all that is necessary, but do we know how to shout in exuberant praise to our God? Do we know how to lift our voices in a response of heaven that sounds like a freaking brave heart? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, God, right? I shouldn't have said freaking, I shouldn't have said brave heart. I'm sorry. Okay, but my point is, do we know how to respond to the glory Glory of God with something deeper than a tear. With something deeper than a, my heart was moved. Oh, pity, patty, breath of God. I'm not making fun. I'm not trying to downgrade. We got that point down. What we don't know how to do anymore. What we need a revival in is the shout. It's the shout that's powerful enough to go around the city and bring walls down. It's a shout that goes, Yahweh, let God arise. Where's the fierce lion of Judah? Judah means, where's the fierce lion of Judah? Where's the roar of the people of God? And I'm telling you, it's a response that when God arises, our hearts can't help. When God arises, our hearts can't help but shout. Our hearts can't help but, yeah! Verse 4. Verse 4. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is Yahweh, and exalt before him. Verse 5, a father to the fatherless. (laughs) You want this anger, fury. You want this man of anger and fury to father the fatherless, to protect the sons and the daughters and the orphans with a vengeance that's otherworldly. You want that. No man worth his weight in gold wouldn't defend their children with fury in this room. Why do we expect God to be different? Why have we weakened him? A father to the fatherless. A perfect judge who defends the widows. All his judgments are right. All his judgments are pure. All his judgments are perfect. He will take up the cause for those who can't take up the cause for themselves. This is God in his holy habitation. 
Come on. Do we want the holy presence of God? Do we want him to come and ha- uh, habitate in our midst? Do we want the holiness of God? Then I tell you what, he comes as in holiness. Sometimes he comes as a father. Sometimes he comes as a judge. Don't reject God's presence as judge it because you're not happy with it. Verse 6, God makes a home. I tell you what I see when I look across this place. I don't see a church. I see a family. I see a home. And I see a home. I see a home that God has made. I see a home for the lonely. God will take prisoners and he will lead them into prosperity. Only those who rebel against him. I know many men have used this scripture to try to whip the believers into shape. I know many men have, have used this scripture to try to, to try to manipulate and legalize the gospel, which is all a bunch of hockey, okay? But I'm here to tell you the rebellious, those who reject and rebel against A, his fatherliness, his judgments, only those dwell in a parched land. But I'm telling you right now, if you'll accept him, if you'll breathe in what he's pouring out, if you'll get, if you'll cup your hands and receive the rain this morning, you don't dwell in a parched land. You dwell with a cup that is overflowing. Verse 7. Oh God, when people went Forth before you when you march through the wilderness. Think about that, Selah. Verse 8, the earth quaked. I say in the name of Jesus, there is going to be a restoration of the people of God that when they move, the earth quakes. Let God arise. <laughs> Do you hear? Let God arise. That when his people walk the earth, the earth shakes. Well, God doesn't do that anymore. That's the Old Testament. The disciples got together. The people of God, the church got together and prayed. And when they did, the room was shaken. The heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai, the mountain of God itself, quaked at the presence of God. I want his rain. I want his shaking. I want his quaking. I want his presence. Whichever way he manifests his presence, I want it. Throw up Psalm chapter 3 and I'm done. I think... Psalm chapter 3 says this, O Lord, how many my adversaries have increased. Anybody in the room felt like it's just been piling on lately? This was against me, now this is against me, now this is against me, now this is against me. Anybody, anybody felt like the things coming against you have increased? Many are rising up against me. Lord, it was just sickness, and now my marriage is in trouble. And it was just my marriage, but now my job is in It was just this, but now i got to. You see what I'm saying? You feel like it was just one sickness, and now it's, they, they found something else on top of that. And it seems like things are compounding, and I can't find a breakthrough. It seems like I'm stuck, and things are just multiplying, but not the things I want to multiply. Verse 2. Many are saying of my soul. 
It's never going to get any better. Come on. Many are saying, you might as well just accept this is a way of life. This is how it's always going to be. It's not going to be any better. There is no deliverance in our God. Verse 3. But you, but you, oh Lord. I'm telling you, we could just read this and have church right now. But you, oh Lord, are a shield about me. Uh, my glory and the lifter of my head. Who needs God to come and protect you right now? Who needs God to put his glory on you right now? Who needs God to come and take your weary head that can't lift itself up off of the pillow in the morning anymore and grab you by the nap of the hair and say, let's get up, boy. I need God to come be the lifter of my head. Verse 4. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And guess what we do when we cry out? God answers. He answered me from his holy mountain. That mountain full of fire. That mountain full of the fury of God. That mountain that has said it's gaze upon your enemies and will drive them away. Verse 5. I laid down and slept. Who can't sleep in the house? Come on, who's having, Reggie, are you having problems sleeping? Amy? <laughs> I laid down and slept, and I awoke because the Lord sustained me. God's going to restore your ability to rest. Verse 6, I will not be afraid. Say it out loud, I will not be afraid. See, what we're doing right now, we are praying through the Psalms. How many are praying and prophesying this over your life as we read this? Come on, Richard. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me round about. They might be all the way around me, but you got to remember, I got a shield around me. I got the glory of God around me. The one who lifted my head is around me, okay? Verse 7. Let God arise. Let God arise. Save me, O oh God, for you slap my enemy across the face. Read what it says. And, you know, not only does he slap your enemy across the face, he punches them in the mouth and their teeth fall out. I just don't think God does that kind of stuff anymore, Brother Passmore. Um, you have, what a weird verse. You've scattered the teeth of the wicked. How many you need in the right spirit, in the Holy Ghost? Enemy, maybe, listen to me, maybe the mouth of the fear of the diagnosis of cancer and you need God to come punch that thing right in the mouth. Maybe the mouth of the diagnosis of whatever it is, you need God to knock the teeth out of the enemy's mouth. There's something inside of me that's trying to say today that God 
is a fierce, roaring lion that we have tamed into a house cat. And he wants out. Not because he is unjust. And not because we're mad at somebody, so we want him to sick them. But because he is sick and tired of watching the church retreat and watching the church being overcome. And he is saying, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let the people of God, when, when, uh, when God rises, so does his people. Let's just read the whole thing. Verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing upon your people. Anybody in here? Listen to me. If you're praying for somebody to be saved, a wayward son or a daughter, a friend or a family member, you're praying that you're praying that that person would accept salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Pray that God would rush them with his holy salvation and that they would, like Paul, fall down and, re- and, and surrender to it. We're not trying to get them to mentally ascend to a thought process. We're trying to get them to respond to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're trying to get them to respond to the loving kindness and mercy of God that they can't say no. Do I believe in irresistible grace? I don't think that I do believe fully in the idea that grace cannot be resisted, but I believe that when the Holy Spirit shows up, you have to set yourself against it because it's pretty dang good. Amen? I don't know why I'm so potty mouth today. Verse thir- verse 9. Verse 9. Is there a verse 9? Praise God. Say law. Stand up on your feet. Say law. Think about it. Or it's another way to say amen. Let it be. <clears throat> Lacey, run up here real quick for me. Very simply, very simply, this is my, 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 our, my appeal. If you need God... To arise. If you need God to show up in your life, you're going through something and you need God to show up. Get out of your seat and come to the front. We're going to pray.